Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. I am John Schmelk. He is Lance Meadow. The phone number for you is 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Well, on these Monday shows, we usually break down the prior game, but... Some more important news came down today. The Giants decided to part ways with their head coach, Pat Shermer, after just two seasons. Lance, we heard both from John Mara and Steve Tisch, the Giant Corners, today in press conferences, and they said a lot. I think a good place to start is why they decided to move on from Pat Shermer, and John Mara was very clear about it. The team did not win enough games this year, and there were a number of games that he felt the team could have or should have won but they didn't, and it's something we've talked about over the course of the year, that middle stretch of games. They play teams that are in the lower half of the standings, teams that are in the now going to pick in the top 10 in the draft this year, and it was games that they could have won, but they never made enough plays on the field where they were able to pull out those victories. Yeah, Shermer ended up 9-23 and over his two seasons here with the Giants, and as John Mara laid out, John, a lot of games you look back during that nine-game losing streak where there were a number of competitive games that sometimes did come down to the wire, whether it be the defense not being able to make a stop, the offense not coming through. I think that was a big factor when they looked back at the 2019 season and examined what took place here, but... The bottom line is, at the end of the day, unfortunately, we are all determined based on our records when it comes to the head coaching position. It's not to say that the coach is the only reason why the team fell short in terms of expectations, but that record is obviously a big indicator. As John Mara said, he said he took full responsibility at the top of the organization as well as you know what has transpired over these last two seasons. And you look at the four wins this year, they came against teams that are under 500 over the course of the year, and you look at that losing streak of nine games you have losses against the Vikings and the Patriots those are good playoff teams you can understand you don't accept them you don't live with them but you understand losing to teams of that nature but losses to the Cardinals at home lost to the Lions lost to the Jets uh, even a team like the Bears who had really struggled leading into that game you know those are games where you head into those ball games and you think Based on where these teams are in terms of their competitiveness over the course of the year, these are games the Giants should have been able to win, and they lose. Their, a lot of them are close games, all one-score games, Arizona, Detroit, yeah. New York, and, and Chicago. They weren't able to, to come up with those victories, and I think when you take a look at the season, that streak and some of those losses within that losing streak are the games that led to the decision that got made. Well, those three games that you just referenced, John, once again, you're talking about opportunities late in those contests, and sometimes it was the small things that added up. The Arizona game, you have a late fumble. Chandler Jones gets a sack. You know, that was obviously a big turning point. The Lions game was a game full of a lot of explosive plays on offense, and then getting drives in the red zone, not able to punch it in for touchdowns. And, and the Jets game also, another game that was tight and was back and forth. So, you know, I think those are the games in particular. As you voiced, you look at how the standings finished up, and those are three teams that also are not going to the playoffs. But you thought perhaps the Giants could find ways to get the W there. No question about it. Uh, he did talk about the characteristics that they're looking for in terms of their coaching search. Uh, a few tidbits John Mara did throw out there. Um, were pretty simple. A guy that would be a good leader, be a good CEO type of... I don't think he used the term CEO, but that's how I kind of took what I he said. I think that could be insinuated. Someone that can install a winning culture into the organization. Uh, said either the head coach or someone that he brings in, whether it's an offensive coordinator or a quarterback's coach, with the history and ability to continue to develop a player like Daniel Jones. He said he was open to a defensive-oriented head coach, open to interviewing collegiate head coaches as well. And he also said... He would give coaches that come in the ability to try to convince ownership in terms of how expansive their role might be in terms of coaching the team, personnel. But they do expect, and this is the other piece of news, whoever the head coach is to work with general manager Dave Gettleman, who will be retained heading into next year. Yeah, and also made it clear that he thought Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman had a very healthy and good relationship over mm -hmm. the course of the two years, despite some speculation that was out there. And you know, said that he was also open to perhaps looking at the power structure. Wouldn't rule that out, John. You know, right now the GM has final say in terms of personnel, but if a coach was interested in the position, wanted a little bit more influence, he'd be willing to hear that out. And by the way, to your point that Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer had a good working relationship, John Mayer also made the point that Pat Shermer had his stamp of approval on every personnel move that got made over the past two years. So it's not like 
when coaches are here, they are not consulted in the moves that were made as the structure was previously. And I would say you want that for any organization, John, when it comes to the National Football League. Well, you don't want the coach getting players they don't want. Of course. At the end of the day, the coach is responsible for molding and developing those players. So you want some back-and-forth dialogue. And I think based on what John Mara said through his press conference, that's something they want to continue to build upon with the new relationship between the head coach and the GM, but also wouldn't be opposed to perhaps tweaking that where the coach, if he had the experience and the interest in having a little bit more influence, that that's something they could sit down and discuss. John Mara is pretty clear. He was open to a lot of different things yeah. um, when he would talk to these coaches, who you would hire, what the roles would be, and that's a point that uh, he did, in fact, make. Uh, in terms of the general manager position, that was the other piece of news today. I mentioned it previously. Uh, Dave Gettleman will return as general manager. He, him and Steve Tisch uh, were in lockstep on this decision. Uh, both Steve Tisch on John, and John Mara discussed that, and both of them came out and said, look, we've had ongoing discussions for a few weeks about it. We're in constant conversation. We have frank, open discussions, and this is a decision that we came to together. There were reports out there that there was a 50-50 split, and they were disagreeing and all that stuff. Both parties were very clear to put that to rest that that was not the case so very important to get that out there based on um, what those two gentlemen said over the course of the day but they really want to give Dave Gettleman more time to see if the plan he's put in place and that is in terms of roster building the young players and in terms of the changes he's made in the organization they reorganized the scouting department changing the way you scout players um, the grading system uh and I've said this before, people don't believe me. There has been an increase in the use of analytics within the organization. I know when Dave speaks, he doesn't talk about analytics a lot, but that actually has been something that's been going on. And John Mara mentioned that within the organization as well. And he wants to give more time for that to develop to see if it will turn into success, if given more time. Because when we started this progress uh, process two, year, two years ago, Lance, we all knew it was more than just a two-year process. Well, he was taking over a position in which there had been a long track record and establishment of people in those positions. When you look at Jerry Reese and how long he's been there, how long he was with the organization even before taking over GM responsibilities, when a new person comes in, and I think this is what John Merrill was alluding to, John, Dave Gettleman had an opportunity to put his stamp on this organization. And part of putting his stamp on the organization was to sit down and look at how things went before he arrived. And I know he was here previously, but then left to become Carolina's GM. And what tweaks could be made to move forward. And, you know, the other thing that John Mara mentioned was they also brought in a sports psychologist who had not been a part of the organization previously. So they want to see how those things finish out over the course of a little bit longer of a period of time as opposed to just basing the results over two years. And, you know, the other thing connected to Dave Gettleman and looking forward is the ability to have cap space this offseason, John. Mm -hmm. That was something else that John Mara hit on. And walking the fine line to avoid what happened in 2016 when they went on a spending spree and brought in a number of key guys and the results were immediate in terms of them making the playoffs in 2016. But as John Mara pointed out, it was short-lived results because they then couldn't make the playoffs moving forward. So they've got to find the balance, he said, this offseason to bring in free agencies free agents, but as complementary pieces to the nucleus that they've already built through the draft. And also emphasize, by the way, the draft is the way to go to build a franchise, not necessarily free agents. And he made the point moving forward, just as important as this year's draft is, they're going to select fourth, by the way, that's where they're going to pick in the draft. And the free agent class is just as important for the young players currently on the roster to get better. And he made the point that there are a lot of young players that they believe have the chance to get better. They have a lot of promise, they have a lot of talent, but now it's up to whomever they bring in here to develop those players so they take that next step. As we've talked about a lot on this show, not everyone's progress is linear. It's not automatic, oh, year two, you're going to be a lot better. It doesn't always work that way. So that's going to be uh, a big key moving forward. Final thing I say about uh, the Dave Gettleman part of this, Lance. John Mara was honest about things, too. He said there's been hits and misses in the moves that he's made. Uh, he said flatly, and I think um, this might not be a direct quote, but it's close, the batting average has to improve yeah. moving forward and have more hits than misses uh, moving forward, and that'll be something that they keep an eye on and they understand. And he said they weighed this in the process where you're making, you're allowing Dave Gettleman to select a second coach, you know, and if you have to make a decision on the other side at some point, you would have a mismatch in terms of the coach and the GM, but that's something they believe in Dave Gettleman. They do not believe that's going to happen, but they did think about that 
when they decided to retain the general manager but change the head coach. Yeah, it was a risk that they weighed, essentially, in terms of that whether or not there could be turnover down the road. And the batting average comment that you just laid out was also in reference to free agency and the draft. That's it correct, wasn't yes. necessarily mm-hmm. referring to one facet more so than the other. It was that, personnel moves. Correct. correct. Personnel mm-hmm. in a general sense that he's aware that they need to get more hits moving forward. And that's why the emphasis was placed on the draft to not necessarily focus on in order to fill voids on the roster, whether it be for starters or depth purposes, that you're constantly tapping into free agency because when they went out and got Olivier Vernon, Janoris Jenkins, and Damon Snacks Harrison, three impactful players, helped them go to the playoffs, but then you could argue created some issues that Dave Gettleman slowly had to clean up when he took over as the general manager. 201-939-4513, that's the telephone number. Also want to remind folks out there that you can find Big Blue Kickoff not only on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app live every afternoon Monday through Friday you can also find it on your favorite podcast platform it gets posted every day you can find it subscribe if you like what you hear you can leave a positive review on iTunes and Apple podcast go to giants.com slash podcast to find out how to subscribe or just go to your favorite podcast platform and you can find the other Giants podcast offerings there as well Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Enter in the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. All right, Lance, a couple other things uh, that were mentioned over the course of the press conference I thought was interesting. Uh, Steve Tisch did speak after John Mara in the hallway, a shorter media session. Uh, but again, I'll reiterate, he said him and John Mara on lockstep. They work well together. It's really the only true partnership in the league where it's a you know, 50-50 ownership split. And the one thing he said at the end of that media availability is that he's going to try to and want to be a little bit more involved in the day-to-day physically and just talking to John more and more moving forward, which was, I thought, a little bit interesting. I'm not sure what that you know means long-term, but it's something that he did say. And that, look, him and John Mara understand that the results haven't been as good as they need to be. And John Mara said he's painfully aware of it that since 2011 there's only been one playoff appearance. And they know that things have to get better. And they have patience. They want to be patient. It's a virtue. But at the same time, you have to be beholden to results. And I think that's kind of where the rubber met the road today, for the lack of a better term. Yeah, well, it goes back to what you and I talked about off the top of the show. At the end of the day, I think it returned to the standings and the results and the win-loss column. And even John Mara said that. You know, it's not as if Pat was not a good individual who had an impact on this organization. He actually spoke very highly of him during the press conference. It was a matter of they felt they could have won more games. And we always go back to that Bill Parcells quote, you are what your record is. There's no way to get around that, John. Those are the facts. So now they want to find ways to take this young group and find ways to win more ball games, And that's what they're hoping the next coach can do in terms of development, in terms of play calling, whether it be an offensive or defensive-minded person and so forth. The other thing that I wanted to add to what you were talking about with respect to you know, ownership, yeah. Steve Tisch even mentioned that you know, the giant setup is unique compared to other organizations, John, because you've got two guys 50-50, whereas you know, most other teams operate with one main owner. And the communication he specifically talked about how you know, they constantly speak, whether it be home games, road games. They said three or four times a week in addition to seeing each other on game days. And that's been going on throughout the course of this season, no mm-hmm. different than it's been the previous seasons. And, you know, there's a back and forth like everything else. But, you know, the constant communication helps whether Steve Tisch is here or not. It's not as if there's Correct. not an ongoing discussion about the inner workings of the team, both on and off the field. The coaching search will begin immediately. Um, that's another thing that got brought up as well. John Mayer also said, if you want to blame me for a lot of this, you can. He said he takes all the blame that he deserves uh, for being the person that's at the top of the food chain. Yeah, from the top in down. The organization. Yeah. And so from the top down, everyone is responsible uh, for what's happened since 2011 in the last Super Bowl. So something else that got said. Um, that was most, I think, uh, he said this fair criticism on the last two hires. Obviously, they didn't work out. You don't like to make changes after two years. They've done it two straight times. Not what you want. He does think that the pool of candidates is attractive. They think they'll be able to get some good candidates. They don't believe, and they were asked this directly, that the fact, and this has been reported a little bit, that perhaps that Dave Gettleman's presence would impact the quality of the candidates they'll get to consider. They do not believe that to be the case. Um, They believe once people will sit down and talk to Dave and understand what he's all about, that it's not going to be an issue. Um, And that's most, I think, the important stuff, Lance. I don't think there's anything else that we missed. Yeah, I think those were uh, all the highlights uh, from what John Mara and Steve Tisch had to say. And and now the process will begin to uh, find the next head coach of the New York Giants. It does. And uh, 
We will confirm here on Giants.com whenever an interview is done. You can call up and ask about anything you want. We can talk about it. Uh, any reports out there, we can discuss those as well. So feel free. Give us a call, 201-939-4513. You can hit, up on, hit us up on Twitter as well at hashtag GiantsChat. We'll try to monitor that throughout the program right here on Giants.com. And again, I want to remind you that you can find this on your favorite podcast platform as well. Not surprising, Lance, we got a full bank of calls yes. at 201-939-4513. So let's get to them, and we'll lead off the program with Joe in Pennsylvania. He's up first. Hey, Joe, you get first word today, my friend. Hey, uh, Happy New Year to you guys there. Same to you, Joe. Uh, I wanted to beat the Eagles badly, but on the bright side, we knocked the Cowboys out of the playoffs. Well, somebody had to win the division, Joe, at the end of the day. I told you this <laughs> I last know, week. I, it's amazing your perspective you know when it comes I mean? to the division, yeah. I tell you. I'm, I'm saying, looking at yesterday's game there, now, uh, you could see the way the Eagles pressured the, the, the line of scrimmage. They were up there with, with seven, eight men in the blocks playing man-on-man man and pressuring, where, where we sat back, we did, you know, it, they showed it like it'd be third and seven or so, and and our defensive backs were back 10 yards and let them run up right to the to, to the first down mark, and he, they turned around and hit him. It, it's you different. Know, there was no pressure No, but there. Joe, it it's, was, it's different personnel. Do you know why the Eagles are able to do that? The Eagles are able to do that because they have pass rushers up front that can get home. So if you play press, it gives the opposing uh, quarterback much less... pass rushers that could get home, too. Well, no, Joe, but timeout, had, timeout, had... timeout, 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 timeout. Do not compare the Giants' pass rush to the Eagles' pass rush. That's just not uh, fair. Uh, uh, okay, but I'm just saying, they were definitely pressuring the line of scrimmage. Their defensive backs ain't... Do you think their defensive backs are much better than ours? Well, but those defensive backs have a lot more experience than the Giants uh, do. Well, and Joe... And Joe, the other part, and Joe, here's the thing. No, but Joe, Joe, real quick. No, Joe, here's the thing. Joe, let me answer you. Joe, stop. Here's the thing. The Giants tried to take advantage of that. They had a bunch of downfield passes where guys were open. But, frankly, Daniel Jones wasn't accurate enough to hit him on a couple plays down the field. The way you beat the Eagles, because that's how they play. They put a bunch of guys in the box. They pressure the wide receivers. You beat them by beating them over the top with big plays. How do you think they did it with Darius Slayton I, I, four I weeks ago? I the Giants that. couldn't do it. That was the problem. I've seen other teams play the Eagles, and what they did, too, was throw a lot of uh, uh, balls to their wide receivers right to the line of scrimmage. They'd hit the uh, uh, screens and throw balls. Uh, yeah, well, when their... the Redskins played the Eagles and Dwayne Haskins was their rookie quarterback, uh, Bill Callahan even talked about this leading into the Giants game. It was Thank a lot you, of Joe. quick Appreciate slants because they didn't have any faith in their offensive line. So I think the point that we're getting to, Joe, and appreciate the call, is you can't just look at what another team does against the Eagles and assume that everybody else can duplicate that when the personnel is very different. And there is a big difference between the experience of the Eagles secondary, John, versus the Giants secondary. There's also a big difference between if you're going to put out Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, as well as Derek Barnett. And Josh Sweat. And Tim Jernigan. Okay, all of those guys, though, are veterans, with the exception of Barnett, who doesn't nearly have as much experience, and Jim Schwartz, who's their defensive coordinator, rotates that personnel. That's been the M.O. of the Eagles defense, not just this season. It's been like that for many seasons. And Lance, you go back, if the people out there that watched the game in Week 16 between the Eagles and Cowboys, it was the same deal. The Cowboys had chances to beat that pressure press defense over the top a bunch. Guys were open all over the field, but they didn't execute well enough to make the plays, and I thought it was the same thing in this game, Lance, when in that first matchup, they made those big plays to Slayton, made him pay. Yeah. They did not make those big plays down the field in this game. And that's how the Eagles play. That's how they operate. That's how their defense works. You have to be able to beat them over the top to beat that defense. And the Giants, frankly, I think only did it once, and that was on the little scramble play to Tate. They didn't hit any deep passes otherwise the whole game. Yeah, in the first game, to your point, remember, one was a deep pass to Slayton, but the other one was just Darby being out of position and missing a tackle, too. Right, well, and then Slayton also, obviously, getting Past him. You had two deep passes to Slayton. The one went for a touchdown. The other yeah. one put him in position. That's to true. That put him in the position. Correct. But yeah. the, mm-hmm. the first touchdown I'm referring to is the one where he basically oh, slanted a yeah, ran for right. the majority of the yards. It yeah, wasn't necessarily someone, a home run. It's someone making a play. It's yeah. players of executing. Course. And the Eagles defense, to your point, has always put its cornerbacks on an island. 
because Jim Schwartz's philosophy is yep. we're going to get home with our front and we're going to hope that those guys can cover as long as they can. And that's why they give up a lot of explosive plays. It's a give and miss type of philosophy. I, I can't believe that was the first call. Well, <laughs> well be, before you go on, by the way, yes. what I find hard to believe is Joe, who is a native of Pennsylvania, and he calls in and we love his passion. Oh, we love Joe. Okay. But Joe last week specifically said he does not for the life of him want to see the Eagles win the division. So how does he call up today and say that he's okay with the I, Cowboys winning the division, anyway. missing out on the division? I, I don't understand Let, that. But anyway, go Let's ahead. get to the important yeah. story at hand, and luckily all four of the calls on the line want to talk about that. We'll go to Doug in Rochester. He's up next. Hey, Doug. Hey, Lance. Hey, John. How you guys doing? What's all up, right, Doug? Doug? And Happy New Year. Same to um, you, too. I want to say one thing about the Eagles and the uh, Eagles gang. Um, Daniel Jones missed Sterling Shepard twice on TD throws. Yeah, so that's I, what we're so saying. I want to say about that. Yep. Um, yeah, he's a rookie. He's going to make mistakes. So he missed him twice on two TDs. And, um, yeah, so I want to talk about uh, the, uh, Dave Gellerman. It's, it's all over that. Um, you know, they kept the GM. And, um, you know, Pat Shermer, I think if he would have relinquished the, off, uh, the play caller, he would have been a lot better off if he became the head coach to focus on that. And um, I heard John Mayer's uh, conference, and John Mayer, you know, what really caught my attention, um, he told the reporter, we don't need a coach to work with the quarterback, the offensive coordinator and the, and the quarterback coach does that. We need a coach to run the whole team. So, yeah, so that, you know, that made sense by Mr. Mayer when he said that, and that's what they're looking for. And John so, Mara has said in the past, Doug, that their preference is actually for the coach not to call the plays. It just so happens that the last two guys they hired is what they wanted to do, which is why that's how it was handled that way. Well, and also it's what made those two guys appealing to John. Correct. Okay, McAdoo was the previous offensive coordinator. The Giants' offense was very productive with McAdoo as the OC and Coughlin as the head coach. So, you know, for you now to elevate him to head coach and say give up the play calling, I think would defeat What's the, the purpose. Yeah, right. And then Pat Shermer, remember, has made a name for himself as an offensive coordinator Correct. and helped the Vikings get to the end. NFC Championship game. So I get your point, Doug. With, but with, by the way, a not superstar quarterback. Correct, Case Keenum. Yeah. And also, by the way, he loses, you know, his running back, Dalvin Cook, and they use Jarek McKinnon and yeah, Latavius Murray. Exactly. So, yeah, a lot of things happened that season. But the whole point of hiring somebody that has a play calling background is you loved what they did as a play caller. So if you bring them in and then you tell them, John, to relinquish those responsibilities, to me, once again, it defeats the whole purpose of them being an attractive candidate. Right. So I, I think that has to be taken into consideration, Doug, to your point, when you say come in but now bring in somebody else and have them do the responsibilities that made them who they are. But, Doug, I think it's the, the important part of your point, and I think it's a good one, is that whomever you bring in, the staff that comes with that coach is extremely oh, yeah. important. If you're going to have a coach, like, to your point, is not going to be the defensive play caller or the offensive play quarter, who their offensive and defensive coordinators are, and even really important position coaches, secondary coach, offensive yeah. line coach. Yeah. It's extremely important. Yeah, but uh, another thing um, they're talking about um, hearing is that Gellerman, okay, let me, uh, um, Josh McDonough uh, is office coordinator. Ian Rappaport just reported that the Giants requested an interview with him at the Patriots. Okay, so my question to you is, I'll just use Josh McDonough as an example coming in as a coach. He has the right to uh, pick, his, pick his coaching staff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, generally speaking, Doug, the Giants will always allow their head coach to select their staff. They're not going to select the staff for the coach. That's correct. Okay, okay. So I want to talk about the rookies. Okay, now for example, thing, coach comes in. Okay, well, I'm gonna use Baker as an example. I don't think Baker showed enough this year. He made a bad play. Like the whole season, he messed up another play and caused a touchdown. Now you you got the, you got the thirtieth pick. Does the coach have a right to trade that pick when he comes in, or uh, how does that work? Get rid of him or what? How does that work? Well, Doug, I mean, the the coach is not the general manager, and appreciate the call. Thanks a lot. Um, the coach will not make trades on his own. That's going to be Dave Gettleman's decision. Of course, he's going to work with the head coach, whoever that ends up being, in conjunction to make some of these personnel decisions. And that's not going to be the coach is going to come in and, and dictate who gets traded, or at least that's not the way the structure has always worked here. Again, Lance said, and John Mayer made the point, that they're open to how things are going to work with however this new regime ends up getting 
um, who gets hired and how it ends up working out. But no, the head coach isn't going to just come in and start trading guys. That's, that's not how it's going to work. Well, and the other thing related to that statement, John, is when you interview coaching candidates, I'm not talking about the Giants. I'm just talking in general here. Of course. One of the first things you ask the coaching candidate is, all right, so what do you think of our roster? Yeah, you're probably not going to hire a coach that hates Daniel Jones <laughs> yeah. and wants to trade him. Or probably wants to not get rid of the entire hire. secondary, yeah. too. So, you know, when... The last caller referenced about if a guy wants to come in and trade this guy, I, I think those conversations will have happened before they make the hires so that the GM and the coach are on the same page, whether they want to move on from certain personnel or they want to retain personnel. Now, I will say this. I think it's an interesting dynamic this offseason now. The Giants have to decide which players showed enough where you believe that, all right, we're willing to say this guy's a number one, who they want to bring competition in for, because they have so many young guys in the secondary I don't think you're going to go into next year and just say, all right, we're going to come out with the same exact group, just go and do it. You're going to want to bring in competition, bring in some veterans to help them. And I think it'll be interesting to see how they decide where to bring in those reinforcements and, you know, how they judge these young players and how much, I'm not going to say confidence, but, you know, how much you're willing to, you know, give starting jobs to certain players based on their draft pedigree and how they played. I think those will be some interesting decisions that this front office will have to make over the course of the offseason because so many young players, but you also just don't want to throw out the same defense you would this year and say, oh, we just trust everyone's going to get better and cross your fingers. I don't think that's the best way to go about it either, you know? Well, and I also think what you just laid out is an important conversation to have with the incoming coach sure. because I think you'd want their perspective, John, and even if they're an offensive-minded guy, you would want to know, okay, who's your defensive coordinator that you have in mind? What's the scheme that that coordinator is going to run? Well, that should be How do the... these personnel fit into that? That's the first question you ask. Whoever your coach yeah. is, let's say if it's an offensive-oriented head coach, well, what do you want your defense to look like who would be your DC if you're hiring a defensive coach well what do you want your offense to look like who would be your offensive coordinator hugely important the makeup of a staff cannot be overlooked in today's NFL especially with the trend and I'm not trying to get off topic here but the trend is you know a lot of teams have gone after quarterback gurus offensive gurus John Wright very creative play callers I would say the success rate of those individuals has been really tied to the decisions they've made in terms of who they have brought in as their defensive coordinators and even vice versa if you're a defensive coordinator who do you bring in as your offensive guy? Case in point, Mike Zimmer, who was the Vikings head coach, you know, brought in Pat Shermer as the tight ends coach and then elevated him to OC before he had North Turner. So those are two guys that were previous head coaches in addition to play callers. And by the way, eventually brought in Stefanski this year yeah, now. Who's there's another guy. Who a lot of people think might be a head coaching candidate around the league, not, not with the Giants specifically. Yeah, that has to be considered. And that's a conversation that during any interview is something that you definitely want to hear. Okay, what are you going to bring to the team, but also who are you going to bring along with you? And how do you see the responsibilities being delegated and so forth? Yeah, and, and obviously, folks, people like Stefanski, the caller mentioned Josh McDaniel, those are people that are under contract with other teams. So just keep that in mind when you call up. Well, these guys are under contract. Remember, based on where you're on the playoffs, you're only allowed to interview at certain times. You have to request permission. So these guys are under contract. That's kind of where it is until those interviews actually happen, permissions granted, and other things happen. So just something to keep in mind. Moving forward, 201-939-4513. Carlos in Astoria, he's up next. Hey, Carlos. Hey, guys, thanks for taking the call. Thanks for calling, Carlos. Yep. What's up? Um, well, first off, best of luck to Coach Shermer um, and whatever he decides to do next. Yeah, and for sure. Obviously, the focus is on him, but really the assistants are the ones who are really in trouble. Those guys don't have guaranteed contracts beyond this year. At least I don't think so. So best of luck to all of them. It'll work out. Um wasn't for a lack of trying. Absolutely. So hope, yeah. hope, hope the best for all those guys. Um, I'm very interested to see Gettleman press conference tomorrow. The, the, the press is going to be after him. And he, he does have a lot of ex explaining to do. And my, my biggest concern with him coming back is some of the moves he's made are, are have been downright illogical and almost defy this idea that they are doing analytics now. Because I, I, I can't see analytics suggesting to take a running back second overall or trading for an impending free agent who was an underachieving player. Well, I, well, I don't think I don't think analytics has anything to do with trading for a guy that's going to be a free agent. And I think there are different parts of analytics that you talk about. Obviously, talking about running back positional value is is one part of it. 
Um, how you evaluate things is another. So I think there are different sides to that analytics coin, Carlos. You cited one specific one in terms of running back value, which is kind of a hot internet topic among analytics people. But there are a lot of different parts of that world that are more than just that. Yeah, I mean, look, fair enough. I, I, I just don't – but I think he has a, a, a solid eye for talent. I think Dave may not be smart enough at, at, or maybe up at the times on like the, the value of what things are costing him to obtain. For example, like trading for Alec Ogletree, who has been a terrible acquisition, citing Jonathan Stewart and confidently saying that he hasn't lost anything in 10 years. I go back to the Leonard Williams trade, one of the most illogical things I've, I've ever seen a GM do. I, I'm not, he's floated for his draft classes, and there are some promise there, but nothing there has been proven. There's, there's not a move you can point to that he's made yet, and you can say that has definitely worked out. Um, uh, and, 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 Carlos, I don't, think that, I don't think that that's fair to say there hasn't been one that you can say hasn't worked out. Did you like that? Give me one. Do you like Darius Slayton as a fifth-round pick? I like him, but it's it's not set in stone that he's a good player yet. Well, but I think there's potential I mean, there. I, I, that's all you could go. First of all, he's only played one season. I mean, to evaluate a draft class after one year, I think is a little misleading, Carlos. Agree, agree. That's what. No, that's my point. Is that in either direction, saying this guy's bad or good, the, the, the story of the draft classes. Or to be determined. We don't know if Slayton is a guy. And that's fair. That's There's no okay, guarantee. Well, Carlos, Carlos, here's a couple. Here's a couple. I'll, I'll give you a couple. Do you think Mike okay. Remmers was a good addition at right tackle this year for the price they got uh, him at? I think okay, that was a really good signing. What's that? It was okay, but he's no longer on the team. No, but he was on the team for one year. They well, got him at a bargain rate, and he was a NFL average, if not better than average, right tackle this year. How can you say that okay. wasn't a good so, signing? Is that the best you got? How about Golden Tate? Uh, no, I think that was a, a bad signing. How was that a bad yeah, signing? He had an extremely productive year. He was he was a solid player. He's dropped a lot of balls, and he's redundant with authority on the roster. What do you mean? He, he was your most productive wide receiver, yeah. and, and if you take his numbers over a 16-game schedule, if you take out that four-game suspension, he's had basically almost an 1,100-yard well, year and 80 you, catches. You can't take out the suspension, but even if you want to play that game— He's redundant with what we already have here. Well, but, but keep again, in mind, Carlos, in, in, to your last statement, Sterling Shepard missed the bulk of the season. So he actually right. proved even more valuable because they didn't have both of those guys on the field for that redundancy so, point. So even if I'm going to – the best signing he made was Marcus Golden. And I'll get back to Tate. The best signing he made was Marcus Golden. And I was going to go there next, yeah. He should have he gotten the second year on that contract. Oh, Carlos, come on. Now you're Carlos. nitpicking. Your first yeah. one, you, you don't know if Marcus Golden would have signed with the second year on the contract. How do you know that? It goes both ways. Well, now you just got now you just have to bid on him in free agency all no, over but again. But, Carlos, how so, do you know Marcus Golden didn't say, I want to sign a one-year prove-it deal when he said, I, I don't want to sign for two years. I want to sign for one. I want to let him go somewhere else then. Wait, hold on. What? That doesn't make any sense. Well, but Why would you not want a double-digit sack guy on your team for so one year? The, the, the best you got is a couple one-year deals and a 31-year-old receiver who got suspended for four games. That's the best you have to offer me. That's a bad job. I'm giving you your starting right tackle, your best pass rusher, and your most the productive right receiver. Not, they're not on the team anymore. Well, but all those guys are still here. They were one-year contracts. Yeah, Carlos. What do you want from exactly, Carlos? Exactly. Exactly. He's fixed nothing long-term. Yo, but Carlos, he hasn't signed guys to a lot of long-term deals. Yeah, well, well, not, not well Carlos, one. hold Wait, on. Time out, time out, time out, Carlos, hold on. Kareem Martin was a doozy of a signing. He's really made a huge impact. That wasn't a big, high-value signing. They didn't pay him a lot no, of money. It was a great contract. That deal we gave him, we didn't need that money for anything else. He was a great contract. Carlos, hold on. And Carlos, you aren't, you, aren't deciding your, you aren't deciding your future, Carlos, with Patrick Omame contracts, Jonathan Stewart contracts, and Kareem Martin contracts. Those aren't dictating the future of your team. They're well, complementary they players. They the current or the future. Wait, no, but, Carlos, we said... At, they should have fired him. Carlos, okay, that's fine. Well, and, 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 and thank you for the call. You're obviously entitled to your opinion, and that's fine. But it's okay to admit when the guy does something good and then cite the stuff that he you didn't think he did so well, and you think that the bad outweighs the good. But the blanket say that everything he does is bad when it's not factually true, that's not fair either. You're allowed to actually be honest about something and still believe in your opinion that someone should be fired. That's fine, but don't say, well, Marcus Golden was a bad signing because it was only one year. That's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. 
Now, Golden had all the motivation to sign a short-term deal because he was coming off a torn ACL. He's talked about this throughout the season, and he wanted to prove that he got back to the next level. And even if you're his agent, I would have even advised Marcus Golden to not lock yourself up because if you have an outstanding season, then you're able to cash in even more compared to what somebody's willing to pay you coming off a torn ACL. So, I mean, that's just logic. And same with Remmers coming off an injury, too, having back surgery in the offseason. Same deal. Well, but here's the other thing. First of all, the offseason hasn't even played out yet, John. We don't know who's going to be re signed. So to say that they're no longer on the roster, I think is premature. The second thing that I wanted to throw in based on the last caller's comments is if you're claiming that the goal should have been to give out long-term deals to get long-term answers, hold on, John. We just sat through a press conference where John Mara was asked about the 2016 free agency class. What was the common theme in that free agency class? All three of those guys were given long-term deals, were they not? Mm-hmm. Snacks, Olivier Vernon, and Janoris Jenkins. And what happened to him? What were the results by that big free agency splash? One playoff appearance. And again, so go ahead. I'm sorry. Lance. No, I, I, I'm just saying it's it's to me. The last caller's preaching to do 2016 all over again. 2016, though, did not yield long-term, continually successful results. So be careful what you wish for when you say, well, you only gave out one-year contracts in the previous offseason class if the long-term deals are not guaranteed to have any better success. And obviously, guys... We're not saying that everything he's done has been gold. That's not the point we're making. John well, Mara said the himself, batting average comment. there have been yeah. hits and misses, and he needs to have more hits. The batting average needs to get better. No argument. We're not saying otherwise, and some of the things he brought up are fair criticisms. We're not arguing with all his criticisms, but it's okay, again, to recognize that there have been some good and there's been some bad. And by the way, going against a lot of the popular opinion and taking Daniel Jones at six— that does take a certain amount of guts. And if he turns out to be your franchise quarterback, and we'll see if that's the case. He had a promising rookie year. We'll see if he continues to get better. I think there's every reason to think that he can be, and he can be your next franchise quarterback. That's a big feather in your cap. Huge feather in your cap. That's the toughest thing to do. And we'll see if it ends up being the case. We don't know yet. It's one year. The same way if he was not good this year, we would be saying, guys, it's only one year. You don't jump off the bridge over one year. Same year. Same deal. One year. You don't throw a party over one year. That's just the way it is. That's how, as you said, you don't evaluate draft classes after just one or two seasons. And same thing with Daniel Jones. As positive as the flashes are, nobody's here crowning anybody yet. You know, we're still in the early development. But I think, you know, the best way for me to evaluate a draft class, and that's why the jury is still out, compared to what had happened previously in draft classes, uh, John, which is what, you know, I set the Giants back. Let's see how many of these guys get second contracts because that, to me, is also a good indication that your draft picks, not only did they hit for the immediacy, but they also hit in terms of doing enough to earn that second contract. And that had been an issue with a number of the other draft classes. A lot of these guys did not earn second contracts. So let's see what happens with this group. That, to me, is the most telling aspect Mm -hmm. of how successful you are in terms of selecting talent through the draft. I'm with you. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Jay in Brooklyn. He's up next. Hey, Jay. Yeah, hey, how you doing, guys? What's up? I I felt it was very interesting the way uh, Mara, you could tell he hears the outside criticism, whether it's right or wrong about the fact that basically they're not doing enough to clean house. I mean, his whole opening statement was about the fact that the changes they made behind the scenes and we're not the same old Giants. And we've made, you know, because there's a lot of people out there, whether right or wrong, who think that they haven't gone deep enough with this cleansing. And he's basically was fighting that off. His whole opening statement was about how we think we've made enough changes and Gettleman is the right guy. Well, Jay, I mean, when, when the Giants released their statement today, it's no mistake that the first paragraph was basically saying the team has decided to move on from Pat Shermer. And literally the second, the second, the only sentence in the second paragraph, if I'm not mistaken, was the Giants have decided to retain Dave Gettleman. So it was a two-part press conference. No question about it. Right. And I just, I just thought you could tell that his ears are, are to the ground and he's hearing all the criticism that he's taken on the outside. But oh, Jay, of course. Jay, Jay, yeah. these guys watch NFL Network. They listen to the radio. They get letters from season ticket holders. They hear everything. Of course they do. And if the fans think they don't and they don't care, by the way, John Mayer is very sensitive to what the season ticket holder base thinks. Trust me. Now, the only thing is, keeping. I, I was in the favor of getting uh, basically moving on from both guys, mm-hmm. which is, I, it, it is what it is. Uh, I don't own the team, so you've got to take it as it comes. <laughs> but uh, the thing is, uh, keeping, and I'm glad he addresses, I give, you know, you get mad at the Giants, but I, I give Mara credit. You get mad at the Giants, but when he stands up there and he talks, you believe in them again. Whether you, whether you dislike what the organization has done or not, you believe in them again because of, because of the owner. You know? And he took a question about the fact that, you know, is this going to impede you from getting a coach that you want? 
And I think that's fair, and it's also a risk that they're taking because if you do hire a coach, get them and hire the coach, they don't work out next year. I'm telling you, the way he made it seem, I felt like Gettleman's on the hot seat now, basically, with the batting average comment, with the fact that they need a better product on the field. They're taking a chance with this. There's a risk associated with keeping Gettleman. Well, yeah, and well, John yeah. Mara was asked that question. He basically he said yes, yeah. absolutely. So he, he acknowledged that, but at the same time, I think that they also have confidence because John Mara did say that during the presser that you know he will make the necessary decisions to get Correct. this team better results. So I, I think that it's you know right now at the stage where things need to get better, but they still believe that the right guy is in the position to do that. Right, and the last thing is uh, before I let you guys go, the I I, I don't I'm not a big and I love you guys. I know you guys cover the NFL. You, Lance, and I know you do too, John. The arbitrary numbers we keep giving to this, to this rebuild, the fact that it's going to take three years and not two, or two years and not one, or four years and not three, it's time for them to win. Like, you know, Indianapolis, no, I know Jay. they have a better quarterback. They had Andrew Luck, was in the same boat as the Giants two years ago. No, Jay, Jay, you're, Jay you're 100% right. Look, we talked about it, that the first year was clean up the you-know-what. Next right. year, continue to do it. You draft well. And next year is a year where, and John Mayer said in the press conference, he expects them to compete for a playoff spot next year. So no one's arguing with you. Absolutely. The time for the and next step is here, period. Yeah, it's, it, enough's enough with the rebuild. I yep. mean, we, no, I mean, 100%. It, it's enough. And then you, 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 while the Giants have been floundering out of water like a fish out of all that, I mean, look what Baltimore did. I mean, two years ago, you remember, there was scuttlebutt about John Harbaugh being let go. They were going to a quarterback change with, with uh, Lamar Jackson and, and, and I forgot, Joe Flacco. Yeah. And they built, in the two years, in the two years that the Giants have been going through this, they basically built a superpower. This is what I'm saying. Like, this, this idea that it can't be done and that we need a certain amount of years, I don't believe in that. I think it's time for them to win now. No, Jay, look, we agree with you. Look, year three, look, you, you can't sit here and lose for four or five years. We get that. We're not arguing with you. And uh, thanks a lot for the call. We appreciate thanks, it, Jay. Good stuff. Um. Yeah, I mean, look, year three is year three. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate it. Um, and you gotta eventually show progress. And they talked about losing patience after two years of Pat Shermer. They want to be patient, but you know they just didn't win enough games, as we spoke about before. And look, they talked about it, Lance and John Mara said we expect to be a lot better next year, picking fourth in the draft, cap space, and the third part of that stool is the young players on the team that are here getting better and again there's no guarantee your young players get better just look at the progress of past rookie classes it doesn't it's not automatic that your guy gets better the next year you hope he does and that's the goal obviously but it's something you have to wait and see and that's a big part of this next coaching staff is to develop the young players that were here so they take that next step in making this team a much better football team next season yeah but i think the other thing with respect to the caller's point about you know it's time to win you also don't want to make moves that just give you short-term results, like oh, 2016. Absolutely, okay. Because 100%. you know you could argue leading into 2016, John, we were having the same conversations. It's time to win, and then they made those moves in the off-season in free agency, but the results were short-lived. It was just one season, and then all of a sudden you have struggles again. So I get the impatience of what the caller was alluding to, but I think that they're also going through this process in terms of not necessarily a rebuild rebuild but you know sticking with the development of these young guys to make sure that it can be sustainable for not just a flash of one playoff berth but remaining competitive for multiple years so you know the caller brought up Baltimore and I know this is a giant show but I think it's important to bring in the rest of the league for the sake of perspective because I think sometimes Giants fans have that narrow lens okay the Ravens who he brought up first of all they drafted Lamar Jackson so they built the bridge from the veteran to the young guy okay now the Giants here Eli to Daniel Jones they're trying to do the same with respect to that but the Ravens also they brought in an offensive coordinator in Greg Roman because Harbaugh made the change who had previous worked with guys that had somewhat of a similar similar skill set to Lamar Jackson who's a running mobile type of quarterback and that offensive coordinator also had a track record of success with some of those other quarterbacks like Alex Smith, Tyrod Taylor, and Colin Kaepernick. Well and to the point the Ravens still had continuity. Yeah they didn't necessarily lose. was still the head coach. They had a Ozzie Newsom also in, the in-house transfer of power from Ozzie Newsom to their current general manager, and they had drafted well before the changes took place. So you had the younger guys on the roster in place that could step up and continue. The problem that happened here, folks, is that you just didn't get a lot out of those draft classes before the Giants made the change of general manager. So when you got here, the younger players to step into the role and, and develop quickly weren't there. Look at the 49ers. 
the DeForest Buckners of the world, guys like that, they were there when John Lynch showed up to talk about another team that developed quickly. They traded for Jimmy Garoppolo, a more of a veteran quarterback. So they had some of those guys in-house to kind of make that jump from the previous regime when the new regime got here. That wasn't necessarily the case when Dave Gettleman took over the Giants. I think that's a great point. The stability was there for Baltimore, and then that's why all they had to do was they grab Mark Ingram in free agency, they grab Earl Thomas, those free agents that complement what was already structured within well, the organization. And drafting in the league MVP is probably not a bad idea. No, but, but that was but that was the draft, I guess, my Correct, point yes. is. They didn't go out and right. buy the league mm-hmm. MVP. That was development Correct. through the draft, which is what was already in place in Baltimore. You know, I mean, you're talking about an offensive line, John, that has Marshall Yonda, who's a, a Pro Bowl interior lineman. And he's been in the league for quite some time, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you make draft selections like that, you then don't put yourself in a position where you need free agency to make up for what you missed out in the draft. No question. And that changes things. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat. Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Takes VIP to 90464 for more details. Patrick in Virginia is up next. Hey, Patrick. Hey, thanks for taking my call, guys. What's up, Pat? First off, uh, for your sake and your, your listener's sake, I don't want to sound redundant. That's okay. But what do you got to say? Yeah. Let me, let me start off with some praise for Gettleman. The, the previous or the past two draft classes um, have been head and shoulders above what Jerry Reese brought in before he was relieved of his duties. Um, my problem here is his issue with, you know, Carlos brought it up, dealing a third and a fifth, probably going to be a fourth. Uh, I think Gettleman's going to be too prideful not to re-sign Leonard Williams. So it'll be a third and a fourth for him, a second, a fourth, and a fifth. Baker. Now remember, though, remember, if if you do lose Leonard Williams, you would theoretically get a three back as a compensatory pick. Just saying, which would be true a year later. No, and it would be a year later, and it would be about thirty picks later. Absolutely right, no question about it. Right, um, that's fair. A second, of course, and a fifth for Baker. He's shown some promise, you know, some struggles early on. That's expected out of a cornerback. Uh, third for Sam Beal from the compens- uh, compensatory um, selection is non-dealing of Janoris Jenkins only to cut him later. and Well, again, and again, I'm just saying you don't know that he did not try to trade Janoris Jenkins at the trade deadline. But he didn't, and he eventually cut him. Well, maybe a team <laughs> didn't want to trade for him. My, my biggest issue comes to he's never dealt down. No, he's, and that's fair. He's been on record that he didn't entertain calls in 2018 at number two. We're sitting now at number four with three teams right after us that could potentially look for a quarterback. But I have no trust that he's going to try to accumulate. So you have John Mayer talking about you've got to build through the draft. And the draft classes have been better. You've got Dave Gettleman saying you have to build through the draft. You gentlemen are talking about building through the draft. Yet he has opportunities to potentially gather more draft capital, and he hasn't done it. He hasn't consistently. Well, he has. Right, he has I, acquired some draft picks in trades of personnel, for example. Like they traded JPP, they got a draft pick back for yeah. him. But in terms of draft day trades, trading down, you're right. That has not been yeah. something he's done. That that is fair. And and I I have no trust that he's he's willing to do it uh, th- this coming year. And I don't know what that is. And it it seems like just such a hard headed stance that he he just won't do it. And it could be for the betterment of the entire franchise moving forward especially with his eye for college talent let's be honest well Patrick I I think if you go back though to the two draft classes with his they clearly were enamored with Saquon Barkley I remember when Dave Gettleman at his press conference before the draft you know he said my mother could have made that selection right I'm paraphrasing they really love Barkley it wasn't that they didn't entertain Trades, they just didn't think anything that was thrown out of them leading up to the draft was worth their consideration. Well, and that combined, though, right. with liking Barkley. So the mm-hmm. point is, if you love a player, 
okay? And, and we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what was going to come with decisions after that. You take the player, sure. and you don't really ask any questions, I guess, is my point. And it's the same thing with they love Daniel Jones. Now, we could sit here and debate about the coulda, woulda, shoulda game. Could he have been there at this pick? I don't want to repeat those worn-out conversations. I think they're useless at this point. The bottom line is they love Daniel Jones, so they didn't see value in moving down and surrendering that high pick if they wanted the quarterback. And he has shown extreme positive flashes that they could have very well found a guy that could be the quarterback for the next decade or so if they're fortunate enough. So it's hard for me to criticize any GM for loving a player but not necessarily weighing, well, he could have got three or four picks in addition if he would have moved down. Yeah, and, and I get that. And I love Saquon coming out. And I, I was on, on record with family. If they didn't have a conviction about Darnold, about Josh Allen, or any of the quarterbacks that were in that class, then take whoever you feel is going to be that generational talent. That, be, that became Saquon. But if I'm not mistaken, through some of his press conferences, he may have answered the phone when they called but he didn't even give it a thought. And it's not even just then. Like last year, okay. He took Daniel Jones at six. He's shown promise. Love it. Right? We, we finally may have our, our franchise quarterback of the future. That's great. You could have dealt down from 17. I like Dexter Lawrence. Don't get me wrong. Who knows? But he has yet ever in any round, as a, over a decade of being a general manager, dealt down. He's never done it. And he's not going to do it this upcoming season. You have all these... All the fans on Big Blue Interactive, shout out to them, saying this is your chance. Trade down to a quarterback-hungry team. He's never done it. He's not going to do it. And I, it, it's just mind-boggling. Well, Patrick, I, look, I, I think I think it will be interesting. And, and thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate it. I'll make sure we get as many guys as we can in today. And I, and I think it was a very intelligent, measured call. And I think it will be interesting this year, um, selecting where the Giants will select, which is number four overall. Whether or not there is a lot of interest for other teams to move up, we got to see what Tua's injury situation is. You know, is that hip going to be healthy enough when the draft comes along where teams are going to want to select him high or not? Um, what's going to be the Justin Herbert evaluation, things like that? Are teams going to be calling to move up? And I, I do think it'll be interesting to see if he does move down. I'm not going to come and say he's never going to move down. As Lance said, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know. Um, history, he has not moved down. That's true. That. That those are the facts of what his history of a GM are. I think he's been a GM for five or six drafts. It's not ten. He said a decade is less than that. Yeah. But whatever details, details. Um, yeah, he hasn't done that yet. I think this will be an interesting year to see though, if he decides to trade down from four, depending on who's there and what the offers are coming in. And theoretically, I like the idea of getting more bites at the apple and having as many chances to draft players as possible. Because as you said he has shown an eye. For drafting players, especially in those middle rounds, he's found some players that look like they are going to be able to help this team long term. And it'll be interesting, I think, this year to see if he does embrace that other part of the draft in terms of trying to acquire more picks, which is something the Patriots obviously have done to great effect over the past 10 years. Yeah, but remember, New England also has not had the luxury of picking as high as the Giants Correct. have over the last few years. And we also don't know what offers he's gotten either to move down either. So Yeah, and that's a big part of the story. But I always go back to, if you love a player, John, to me, you don't hesitate. And, and you don't play the coulda, woulda, shoulda game of mm-hmm. Absolutely. getting three picks in this round versus taking the first round pick. So I think that was part of his rationale. But this will be interesting because of the fact that you have your running back in place, you have your quarterback in place. And once you have your quarterback in place, the urgency of holding on to that higher pick because you want the most important position is not there as much as it was, John, I would argue, in each of the last two drafts. So does that now allow him to show a more willingness to move down if there's a team that's extra hungry to take the giant spot? Yeah, it all depends what the offer is that comes in. Because, you know, as I said, he's shown the willingness to acquire more picks in, in the JPP trade, for example, and... Now we'll see uh, moving ahead if he decides to extend that one for new picks, more picks when he gets to uh, the draft night or the process leading up to the draft as well. Well, and real quickly before we get back to mm-hmm. calls, I think part of the rationale, John, and also him acquiring a lot of picks in this past year's class was to then package that to right. then move up to get a better player. I think that was some of the rhyme and reason, just reading into how the dynamics of the draft played out. Because you can only, by the way, put so many guys on the active roster and the practice mm-hmm. squad. So, you know, if you have a draft with 15 picks, realistically, all 15 guys are not staying with the organization. Would they have 12 picks in last year's draft? Something that to that nature, I it believe they did. Somewhere between 10 yeah. and 12, right? Now, listen, every pick, you know, because Sladen was at the practice squad and was called up at the last second, but Sladen spent the bulk of the season on the practice squad. Chris Sladen, by the way. Chris Sladen, yes. yes. For the sake of 
being clear. Yes. No, no, that, that, that's fair. That's <laughs> it. Once in a while, you bring in a good nugget, so kudos <laughs> to you. All right, I think it's a good transition back to the phone. All right, let's then. go to Scott in D.C. who often has some good nuggets for us. Scott, what's up? Hey, guys, uh, two comments, one question. Sure. First comment, uh, if Eli Manning is not back with the team, thank you to him. He... Uh, one of the greatest giants ever. Oh, yeah, Scott. By the way, I just want to recognize. Yeah, I want to add. I want to add to that real quick. Yeah. Yeah. He, well, let me just. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Let go me ahead. just. Please don't interrupt. Well, you know, hopefully he'll be recognized as one of the greatest in, in NFL history by making it into the Hall of Fame. Personally, I think he does deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. There are legitimate arguments why he shouldn't. Take two of his 16 seasons. I don't want to have a Hall of Fame talk right now. He's a very middle of the road quarterback, but he did have those two seasons. That combined with his career statistics six or seven in touchdowns, completions, and TDs throughout his career that makes him Hall of Fame worthy. Scott, what I was going to say very quickly, he actually did speak to the media today, and with everything else going on, it wasn't widely reported. Uh, He said he does not know if he wants to play again. He said he does not want to be a coach, he's not interested in being a backup. Um, but he hasn't decided if he wants to play again. Um, he did indicate he's very happy with kind of how things concluded here with his career. So my guess is that coming back here as a backup didn't sound like it's something he would want to do, but he wasn't clear as to whether or not he's going to retire yet. So that's kind of where we are in terms of Eli and his future. Yeah, he said it wasn't fun being a backup. That he yes, did admit today. True. Yeah. What else you got, yeah, Scott? We, we, all saw, we all saw that already. Uh, the question is... Maybe some uh, people didn't, who, Scott. Who, yeah. Excuse me? I said maybe some people yeah. didn't see it, so I'm telling the listeners that maybe did not see that. Yeah, he never publicly admitted that prior, so that was why that was a, right. a newsworthy item. Maybe some people maybe some people didn't see Mara and, and Tish, so we could just go over the press conferences. But Scott, you're going to get hung up on really on. quick yeah. because Scott. of your attitude. So goodbye. Thank yeah. you, Scott. If, if mean, you want to call with that type of attitude, I'm, we're not going to have you on. So it's that simple. 201-939-4513. Hans in New Jersey. He's up next. Hey, Hans. Hans, how are we doing? Hi. Yes. Good afternoon. What's up, Hans? Good um, afternoon. I, I want to intrigue both of y'all's minds with this nugget. Okay. I heard, I heard, uh, or I read, and I saw, and I looked it up that Bill Belichick was on a one-year deal, and I'm intrigued about that because he embodies our Giants' pride. He embodies what we believe in, and I think. That if he's on, in fact, a one-year deal, the Giants may be thinking about it but not saying anything. So if you was to look it up to see, is that actually true? Is it a possibility that Bill Belichick can come home? Here's what we know about Bill with Belichick, Hans. He is under contract with the New England Patriots. There is nothing public out there about what his contract situation is. And we don't have to tell you what a great coach Bill Belichick is. Obviously, he's mm-hmm. fantastic. So what the Giants are thinking, what that situation is, we can't tell you. We don't know, so we can't speak to that. But um, obviously, Bill Belichick's Bill Belichick, and that's pretty much all we can say on that. Well, here's the other thing to take into consideration. This is just a blanket statement. This is not about Bill Belichick, Hans, to your point. If you are interested in any coach who is currently under contract, whether it be an assistant or a head coach who's going to the playoffs, by the way, there are NFL rules and regulations in place in terms of your limitations and when you could speak to them. And the longer and longer that that team remains in the playoffs, the longer and longer other candidates who may be speaking to other teams that have vacancies are going to be plucked off the market, and then all of a sudden plan B, C may not be there. So that's the always the big dance that any team has to have in terms of do we wait it out for somebody we may be interested, to your point of a pipe dream, or do we handle who actually is realistically out there and we could speak to now? I think that's a, a fine line that every team has to walk when they're looking for a head coach. I, I definitely agree with you, Lance. I definitely agree. But if there is a sheer, and we're just saying a sheer possibility, that because he is on a one-year contract and New England is kind of falling apart right now, and there's rumors that Josh McDaniels, uh, that the Giants have you want an interview with Josh McDaniels, and, you know, they're thinking about Matt Rule, which is okay, and I'm okay with that. But if there is any, any possibility that we can be able to obtain Bill Belichick because he's on a year-to-year deal, I think that that would go huge for our franchise if that was a possibility. So, I mean, it is, he is on a one-year deal, so I just wanted to kind of throw that out there and just see your opinion on it. That's all. 
Well, and I hear where you're coming back, Hansen, and appreciate the the phone call. And there's nothing wrong with throwing that out there. I mean, once again, he's the Patriots head coach right now. Until that changes, it once again, to me, is fairy tale land and not necessarily living in reality. And right now, I think the Giants are exploring people that are out there or people that are assistants who they are entitled to go through the process and get permission for. And by the way, just to clarify again for what the caller said about Josh McDaniels, that is strictly according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. That is nothing official from the team. The team is probably going to release statements as they interview candidates, but everything right now is pure speculation. And there's nothing ever founded behind that and we are other than to, reports. And we are yeah, happy we're, to we're happy to acknowledge it and talk and about talk it. About it absolutely. But it's just it's mm-hmm. important to note that the team has not made any of those announcements whatsoever because they have to go through the proper NFL channels. But once again, Bill Belichick is arguably the greatest head coach in NFL history. Uh, just to answer the fairy tale, I think if you had a chance to go after Vince Lombardi, if he was still with us, I think any team would do that too. So it, it goes without saying. Let's go to Neil in New York, and he'll be our final caller of the show today. Neil, how are you, pal? Hey, gentlemen, how am I? I'm, I'm, I'm tired of like talking about like getting uh, draft picks in the first uh, six spots. Yeah, so are zero, we. we. We agree, Neil. Um, <laughs> to be- positive to give Gettleman a little credit maybe dumb luck I love Nick Gates he's gotta be in the plans I mean I, I liked him right out of preseason but anyway my questions are one about cap space yeah and two why why don't we ever run Daniel Jones on a plan we did it yesterday it worked great potentially could have done it so many times this season we need a coach that's going to be, you know, invigorating with him. Let him run the kid a little bit. You want to do like you want to do like read options? What are you thinking, Neil? Yeah, RPOs. I mean, it well, was they run there. RPOs. He had to yeah. To Saquon, Saquon smothered. He could have went fifteen, twenty yards. Neil, let me ask so you: Would you would you be okay if that meant he misses four games a season with injury? If you run more RPOs, would you be okay with that? Absolutely. I don't think he's. You know, I wouldn't. <laughs> Wait. For Sixteen years and. Uh, no missing starts. Get a capable backup, and 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 utilize the guy. Neil, it's not my line. Neil, Neil, what, what happened to the what happened? Neil, what happened to the Panthers this year when Cam went down? Oh man, let me tell you, I didn't realize how bad Will Greer was and Kyle. Well, well okay. Well, listen, I don't want to have a comment. I don't. I don't. Neil, Neil, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt here. I'm not looking for a breakdown of the Panthers. My point is, to what you responded to John's statement, you just proved that when Cam went down, Carolina had to rely on young guys, and all of a sudden the losses started to pile up. So John's point is, the more you run and expose Daniel Jones to hits, the chances are he's gonna miss two games or even more, which you already went through as a rookie. I don't think you want to go down that road. Preserving your quarterback is extremely important. And again, that doesn't mean, Neil, and I think I think what you want to aim for here is a balance. You want to try to find really important situations. I think of the way the Cowboys use Dak Prescott, right? He's mostly a pocket passer, right? But in important situations, on third downs, on red zone situations, they'll utilize him more as a runner because... Those are very key situations in the game that can turn a one way or the other. So I think when you want to utilize Jones's intentionally now and then, I'm not saying to run a triple option. No, and, no, and, 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 and that's fine. Yeah. And I think we saw it in the play yesterday after they had the two Where stops on out. second and short and third and short, right? On I think it was fourth down, right? They ran the play yeah, action. He got a 17 And Jones at the naked yeah. boot. If you want to do stuff like that in third and short or important goal line, red zone situations, we're okay with that, but I'm not going to use him like the Ravens use Lamar Jackson. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, okay, so we're on the same page. And, and, and that point is fair. you got to just pick your spots, I, I guess is what I'm saying, Neil. And you don't want to expose him to as many hits. And I think also the fact that he's coming off a high ankle sprain was another reason why maybe you didn't see as much of that over the last few weeks, too. Remember, he just essentially returned from injury. We didn't see a lot of planned runs all season. No, that's true, too. Absolutely, no question. And um, last thing, I'll take it off there. Sure. What's our cap space situation? Uh, thank you, Neil. Appreciate the call. Uh, there's no way to give an exact number because guys can get released and cut. Uh, the salary cap will go up at X amount of dollars. I think they might have announced the exact amount it was going up, actually. I think it was almost 7 to $10 million, something like that. So we don't have the exact number. Um, some of the media reports out there, somewhere around 70 But we do not have that exact number yet based on contract incentives can change that. Um, maybe they'll sign guys to extensions. The bottom line is that they will have enough cap space to do whatever they want to do in free agency. 
if there's somebody that they think is, is, is a good value and the term I like to use, production per dollar, that that's, at, that's out there, whether it's a high-level free agent, low-level free agent, they will have the flexibility and the spending and the money and the cap space to do what they want. That doesn't mean you have to go out and spend it all to Lance's point going back to 2016 and give out a bunch of big long-term contracts that, that you're going to regret in a few years, but they should have the ability to do what they want over the course of this offseason to improve the team. And that, to me, is always the balancing that you have to take into consideration. It goes back to what John Mara said during his press conference. So, you know, when fans hear, oh, they got a boatload of money, keep in mind, salary cap space in the NFL is unlike other leagues. You carry it over for what you don't spend. So that gives you flexibility. If you're not enamored with this free agent class, you can then bring it over to the following year. That's unique compared to some other professional leagues and how they operate. And that's another reason why I don't think, at least this is my personal opinion, John, I'd be very surprised if they're going to follow a similar approach to 2016. That would surprise me. I think they're going right. to be aggressive in terms of going after guys, but to say that the entire roster is going to be revamped through free agency when they're clearly going in a younger direction, that would be a surprising thing. Well, look, 2016, you were nearing the end of Eli Manning's career. Yeah. You knew your window was small, and you were trying to maximize that window. And that's what they did, and it turned out to be a mistake. It didn't work out. It gave you the one-year bounce, as John Maris spoke about today, and then after that, you kind of fall off a little bit, right? So this is still part of a long-term process. That's not to say you make an excuse next year if they win five games. Oh, it's part of a long-term process. Who cares? That's not what I'm saying. The point is that you're not just signing people as free agents for a, a one-year bump. You want to build this thing that it's long-lasting and it's durable over a long period of time as you build around these draft classes, and that's how you got to operate in this offseason moving forward. See, for example, Green Bay, I think, is a good model to look at. What the Packers did this offseason, this has been an organization that's always focused on the draft. They've never signed free agents. No, very rarely. This offseason, they went out. They got Zadarius Smith of the Ravens, Preston Smith of the Redskins. Both of those guys have double-digit sacks. But what they already had in place was Jair Alexander at corner, Darnell Savage at safety. They've brought in guys like Kenny Clark and Blake Martinez through the draft. Dude, Kenny Clark is an excellent yeah, player. But oh. not all of that was spending money. It was the draft, and then let's bring in the elite pass rushers to complement that group and then also if you look on the offensive side of the ball you know Aaron Jones is not somebody they spent a great deal of money because that's what happens when Aaron jo Aaron Rodgers by the way cost you a lot of money you need to find other ways to round out your roster so that to me seems more like a logical game plan as opposed to maybe what happened in 2016 and by the way I'm not saying it's not helpful to have quarterbacks on low money contracts but do you want to go through the playoff teams this year and talk about what quarterbacks are making a lot of money, but we can go through the, through the NFC right now. It's well documented. Let's see. Carson Wentz, I'm pretty sure is a big contract, right? Does Drew Brees have a big contract? He oh, does. yeah, he does. Does Kirk Cousins have a big contract? Oh, he does. Does Aaron Rodgers have a big contract? Oh, he does. Does Jimmy Garoppolo have a big contract? Oh, he does. Does Russell Wilson have a big contract? Oh, he does. Oh, so maybe you don't have to have a quarterback on a low deal in order to be successful. Every single NFC playoff team is paying their quarterback big money. And you go to the AFC, it's a little bit different because you got a bunch of younger guys. Mahomes is still all, Mahomes hasn't signed this big deal yet, right? He is not. No. Um, you have Josh Allen on his rookie deal, Lamar Jackson on his rookie deal. So that's a little bit different. Even Ryan Tannehill obviously is not making a lot of money um, with Tennessee. So well, but also Tannehill wasn't drafted by Tennessee. Right. He was but acquired they, via trade. But they have Mariota no, on the roster. Yeah. He was drafted, which is fine. Absolutely. But yeah. the point is, the NFC's case in study, case in point, where you go out there, you secure your quarterback long-term, and then you can build around him if you build properly. The AFC, you see the other side of the coin, where you have a bunch of young guys on rookie contracts. There are exceptions. Some teams aren't, such as the Patriots, who obviously are paying Tom Brady. Probably below market rate, but they are paying Tom well, Brady. Well, and that's also more of the willingness of the quarterback, But too. the other guys, you have yeah. the young guys on rookie deals. You got the Deshaun Watsons, you got the Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allens, Lamar Mark Jackson. Jackson. So yeah. there are multiple ways to skin a cat. There's not just one way to do it, which I think some people get into this idea where there's only one way to do things, there are different ways to succeed. No, I think that's a great point. The narrative that's all of a sudden started is when you draft a quarterback, you've got to capitalize on that four- to five-year window in which you have them on a rookie deal. And it's deal. great if you can do oh, that. It's a great luxury. You don't have to. Well, because at the end of the day, what you laid out, John, is it depends on what you do with the remainder of your resources. I can give you a rookie quarterback, and you could go out on a spending spree and not bring in good talent. What difference does it make that the quarterback's not eating much of the cap space up? The bottom line is you're not getting results from the rest of your roster. Right. So it's all about what you do with it. It's not just having the salary cap space, the bang-for-your-buck philosophy that you were bringing up earlier.
Lance, good stuff. Should be an Absolutely. interesting few weeks here. Indeed. And we will be here to cover every which angle of it. By Absolutely. The way. And yes. thank you for being with us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. You can find Big Blue Kickoff Live, the archive, on giants.com slash podcast. You can also there find all our other podcast offerings. You should subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. But the archive is also on giants.com and on the Giants mobile app. We will continue this week at 1.30. We will probably shift times then heading into the following week to our off-season schedule. We'll set that up this week. We'll keep you updated. We'll let you know. But the archive, again, is on all your favorite podcast platforms, Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, and all of our other podcast offerings are there as well. For Lance Meadow, I am John Schmelk. Thank you so much for being with us on today's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. The Giants are beginning a search for a new head coach. We'll see you next time, everybody. Adios. Have a good one.